And now at this time, we are going to go, we're going to look in our Bibles. It's going to be up on the screen. We're going to look at Hebrews 5, 5 through 10. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting passage. We are continuing our series of looking at these letters um, during Lent. And so we're going to do that today with Hebrews 5, 5 through 10. Hear these words from the Lord. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During these days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the eternal source of salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're getting into the weirder part of parts of the Bible. So we've been taking our time during the season of Lent, right? This season, this 40-day period before Easter, where we reflect on our sinfulness and our need for a Savior, as we ultimately await what Jesus does on Easter and during Holy Week, his death and resurrection, his death on a cross. So we're taking some time and we're looking through the epistles, right? The letters, these books of the Bible and the New Testament that were written by some of Jesus' earliest followers, right? Peter, Paul, John, some other people as well. And so we're looking at these letters as a way to reflect on what the early church, what they understood about Jesus, what he was doing, his ministry, the Son of God was doing. And so we get to the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books. In the book of Hebrews, it's important that we have a little bit of background on what's going on here because it can get a little interesting. Historically, the early church, the church itself, has always said that Paul was the author of Hebrews. Well, Paul usually writes his name at the beginning of the book, and there's no name at the beginning of this book. So it's possible. But there are some other reasons why some people think it maybe isn't Paul. It could be Barnabas or Apollos or Priscilla. It could be any number of people. All we know is that whoever wrote Hebrews was a really smart person who was really close to the apostles, right? The, the, main, the, the main leaders of the church at that time. And what we also know is that the, uh, Hebrews was written to people who knew the Old Testament really well. They knew the Old Testament because the author of Hebrews, they use all sorts of images and, illust and illustrations from the Old Testament so, and a lot of obscure stuff. So the people who were reading this book, this letter, they were listening to it, they would have known the Old Testament really well. So we're pretty sure it was written to a group of Jewish Christians. We're not sure where, but that's, that's all we got. And that's, impor that's important for us to remember that we're not 100% sure about some of the stuff in this book 
but we have some pretty good solid background of why it was written and to, and to whom. And so, when the author of Hebrews, he introduces in our passage this illustration of the great high priest, this high priest, the, the audience, right? These Hebrew Christians, these Jewish Christians, they're hearing this, they're thinking, oh, we know what that means. You know, maybe you and I, we look at the book of Hebrews and we're thinking high priest. Like we, not, not many of us have experienced what that means, a priest, right? There are some Christian traditions that have priests, but we don't in our tradition. So what, okay, we don't really know about a high priest, but the Hebrews that were hearing us, they would have known, right? They knew exactly what a high priest was. A lot of them had maybe gone to the temple in Jerusalem and they had, they had offered up sacrifices. And so they knew exactly what was going on in what, when, when the author of Hebrews talks about this, right? That the priest's role was to represent God to the people, right? The priest acted as this in-between, representing God to the people. But on the other hand, it was representing the people to God, right? This is what the priest's role was to do. Was. It's found in other religions, not just, you know, Judaism, but that is what was going on. And so that the author of Hebrews says, that is what Jesus is for us. He is this great high priest. That, he, that Jesus is the link between us and God. He is the perfect link that connects us. He is the ultimate high priest, the great high priest, better than any high priest who came before him. Right? There would have been, there's this long line of priests in, in the Jewish tradition, right? Dating back to Aaron. And all those priests fought, fell short for being the perfect mediator that the people needed, right? We, we see it really early on in the Old Testament, right? The first priest, Aaron, after Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to, to speak with God, while that's going on, Aaron's like, sure, I'll build a golden calf for you guys to worship. Sounds good. That's the first high priest, right? And he's already messing it up. This does not bode well for the, his, the line of priests that are going to come after him. And so these, the, the audience that the author of Hebrews is writing to, they, they would have known all of this stuff. That, yeah, the priests are pretty corrupt. They messed up all the time. You see it all over the Old Testament. And so although the priests were the ones who were aiding the average person in sacrificing to God so that the people could have their sins cleansed and so they could be made right with God, they also had to sacrifice something because they were not perfect priests. They messed up. They sinned. They were doing all these bad things as well. And so they were never, the priests were never going to perfectly represent God to the people because they were messed up. Besides, we can't go on just, you know, always killing animals to, you know, to redeem us from our sins because eventually we're going to run out of animals. And so the author of Hebrews is saying that is where Jesus fits in. He is the perfect high priest. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about our, our, sin any, our, our sin anymore because Jesus pays the price and he is perfect. He can take our sacrifice. He, he is our sacrifice. He can take and he can give out repentance because he's never going to need to get a, have a sacrifice because he is sinless. He is perfect. He is the exact representation of God. That's what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 1. 
Jesus perfectly represents God to the people, right? So Jesus is our a perfect go-between between us and God. And so as far as high priests go, it's pretty good. Jesus does a really good job of being high priest, and he represents God to the people. But Jesus is perfect. Jesus is blameless, and so he does a really good job of representing God. But I don't know about you. Whenever I'm going through difficult stuff, talking with someone who's perfect and blameless, it can be sometimes hard. And the fact sometimes that God is this is perfect, that Jesus is perfect and blameless, sometimes it makes me feel kind of distant from him when things are going, when things are going hard in my own life. I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in the fact that this past year, there have been times that I felt pretty distant from God, right? Asking him, why are all these things going on? Why would you let these things happen? Being alone, you know, laying on the floor in the kitchen and being like, why is life like this right now, God? And so when we're having times of struggle and we're suffering through things, like I, I imagine I'm not alone that many of us can feel distant from God. How could God ever relate to the things that we're struggling with? How can God relate when it's the end of the month and we don't have that much money in our account to pay for all the bills or to pay for whatever we need? We can't make ends meet. Where are you, God? You feel so distant during that time. Or, you know, when, when we hear on the news that, you know, people go out and they murder people because, they're, because of their race or their gender, and, and they try to couch it in this Christian language about purity. Where are you, God, when things like this are happening? When there's so much suffering? feels so distant. Or when we're reeling from the unexpected death of a loved one who was too young to go and they leave behind so many family and friends who are going to miss them. Where are you, God? Why are you allowing these things to happen? We know that Jesus is our perfect high priest and mediator. But sometimes it feels, even because of his perfection, he feels a little bit distant to us. At least that's what it feels like to us. Because how could a suffering, how could, how could a perfect and blameless God understand our suffering? Well, kind of brings us to an interesting question that we see in this passage in verse 9. Was Jesus actually always perfect? Let's read it. See, read in verse 9. It says here, and once made perfect. Jesus once made perfect. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What is the author of Hebrews trying to say? Made, Jesus was made perfect? What is that supposed to mean? Well, I don't want to keep you in suspense too much longer. Yes, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was sinless. He was blameless, okay? We're not saying Jesus, you know, sinned or something a couple times when he was younger. We're saying, no, he's perfect. He's blameless. This is one of those fun, you know, translation things where the word perfect doesn't mean spotless or sinless. It means complete. Once Jesus was made complete. And by what do we mean by complete? Once Jesus' experience of being a human was complete. That is, once Jesus fully came to embrace all of humanity, once he fully knew, once he fully experienced all that it means to be human, 
he was made perfect, complete. That he understood what it meant. And we can trust, because of this passage, that Jesus did experience all that it meant to be human. All that it meant to be someone living in a sinful, broken, fallen world where friends and family members die unexpectedly, when you know, a foreign regime comes and takes over your country and oppresses your people. Jesus experienced what it means to be a human. Right? It says that Jesus knows suffering in verse 7. That he offered up prayers and petitioned cries, right? He knew what it meant to be a human and experience these things. Not that suffering is what always leads to obedience in God, but that Jesus experienced suffering and so that he could, he was fully able to be our high priest. Yes, a priest that represents God to the people but also a priest that represents the people to God. He was fully human. He experienced every aspect. Don't go on believing. Don't don't believe that Jesus had this perfect, nice life and he kind of glided through life until the last couple couple weeks, right? No, Jesus, like all of us, has experienced hard times to the very beginning. He knows what it means to be human so that he can be with us in our suffering. In our hard times, we can trust that when we are going through those midst, although he may feel distant, I'm telling you, people of God, he is there with us during the hard times because he has been there. Maybe not exactly. He didn't have a smartphone, I can tell you that. But he has experienced pain and suffering just like us. And so that means that because of all of those things, because him being the exact representation of God, he can be the perfect high priest who represents God to the people. And because he took on flesh and he experienced all that it is to be a person in this fallen world, he can perfectly represent the people to God. And he can because he is also perfect and sinless. He perfectly experienced this world and he perfectly lived it as well. So Jesus is the perfect high priest. But, but, it's it's awesome that we have a high priest, a mediator like Jesus, who perfectly represents God to us and we see what God is like through him. And he perfectly represents us to God and that he lived a sinless life and that he is able to take on and offer him as himself as a sacrifice for our sin to set us free so that we don't have to worry about any, any sort of eternal punishment. We can trust and we are freed from that. But it takes more than a priest to get rid of all of the sin and evil in the world, right? That's what the priest's job is. The priest's job is to make the people right with God. But what about all the sin and evil going on out there? What, what, who's going to do anything about that? Well, that's where the fun part of this passage comes in. That's where we get to what do we mean by the order of Melchizedek, right? The order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews, he knows his audience. They know their audience. And, and, 
And they're offering this image of what Jesus does for us, what Jesus does for you and me, in the order of Melchizedek. Right, we're going through the, the New Testament, reading along, and all of a sudden we get some obscure character from Genesis 14, the king of Salem, the king and high priest of Salem, Melchizedek. What's going on here? The guy that Abraham gave a tithe to, a tenth? What does this have to do with anything, author of Hebrews? What, what are you trying to say? Well, the author of Hebrews is showing us that this is the type of high priest Jesus is. A high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Not a high priest in the line of all of those corrupt and fallen high priests of Israel, but a different sort of high priest. A high priest who was called specifically by God to do something special. A high priest who not only has the power to make the people right with God, but has the power of a king to make the world right. A conquering, a ruling king that can get rid of all the sin and evil in this world. Because that's what Melchizedek was. The king and high priest of Salem. The city of Salem. Think about it. Jerusalem. Yeah, same place. This is the, king, this is the high priest Melchizedek who is not appointed by men, but by God. And so, when the author of Hebrews references this kind of obscure priest that even the author of Hebrews in verse 11 is like, yeah, this is a little confusing. Just, just follow along. Don't worry about it too much. When he points this, to this image of this random, seemingly random obscure character, what he is saying is that Jesus is the kingly high priest that we need in order to set us right with God and to have the power to redeem all of creation. That Jesus, as high priest and king, has the authority to make us right with God and has the authority over all of creation. He is the king of creation. And so that this high priest king who knew suffering, who came in flesh, is given the keys to the kingdom is given control over all of creation so that he doesn't just understand our suffering and relieves that, but he can do something about it. That he can go out and he can and he does and he is currently redeeming all of creation to himself. Jesus conquers death and has the final say over it. And he is, like we read in a letter of Paul's, redeeming the world to himself. And so in that way, that is the way that we see that Jesus, the great king and high priest, who perfectly represents God to the people and the people to God and can do something about the sin and evil of this world, that is how Jesus is our eternal source of salvation. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Lord, we come to you in all different places. Some of us were having a rough week, having a rough month, maybe even a rough year. And we don't know where else to turn, so we turn to you, Lord. Others of us are doing pretty good. We want to better be able to love 
and honor you. And so, Lord, we come to you being reminded that you are the eternal source of our salvation. You perfectly represent God. When we see you, we know who God is. And when God sees you, he sees righteousness. So we don't have to worry about the punishment for our sins. So Lord, we thank you for all you do. And the fact that it, does, it goes beyond that, that you are able to redeem the whole world to yourself, that you can put an end to the sin, to the patterns of sin and evil, because you are the king. You are the special high priest and king in that order of Melchizedek, something we don't really always understand why that's in there, Lord, but we trust it is because you are powerful, you are great, and you love us so much. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you show that, all the ways that you take our place and that you are with us during these difficult times. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.